from multiple new and familiar locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Arthur Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are novelty and intuition. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Start. <laughs> start. Oh, that's it's it's like it's like a bunch of runners on a starting line, and like it's one psyching the others out. Like I, yeah, I, I was ready I, to like I was literally ready to get up and pounce. I was like <laughs> totally thrown off. Yeah. One day I was just surprise you guys with a starting gun. Yeah. Just pull it up on camera and just <laughs> blast it into the mic. <laughs> oh, um. Um. So I I got a new keyboard. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a split keyboard. It's it's. Uh, I'll link it in the in the in the show notes. But it's a it's a. I think it's called a Matthias, uh, Ergo Pro. Yeah. Kind of a hmm. weird thing. So basically, what it did, it, they 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 took a regular keyboard without the numpad and they cut it in half. Mm-hmm. And then you can just you know you connect it to some wires and you can type on it, split up like that. And it's kind of nice because, um, like my arms are not close together as i'm typing yeah Yeah. it doesn't feel like i'm squishing up against myself as much it feels like mark you described it like as a as a uh as a joy con yeah the two joy cons thing well that only that that only came to me because i know how much you love that control scheme and so this makes a lot of sense (laughs) that you want a keyboard that works the same way yeah yeah well my ultimate goal with this was to make more space on my desk and i don't think i actually achieved that goal (laughs) but you don't have like a place for your coffee or tea in the center well (laughs) i did like i moved some stuff over so now i have like a like a place where i can like pick up stuff on my from my left side yeah kind of neat i like the idea of getting maybe there's a split keyboard out there where the right half does have a number pad and then the left one has like a cup holder (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, can we get um, Ergo Extra Pro? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's kind of surprised me about about yours? Uh, yours has a great uh, the cable between the two parts is um yeah. it's like it it it's extendo right it's it's the yeah uh, there's a term for it but like it ne- it has no slack ever which is kind of cool but uh, I've seen other ones that have a little like um like a telephone cable or a coiled kind of or a headphone kind of cable hmm. uh, as a way to yeah. sort of do something similar. And the thing that always confuses me a little bit is there's no reason a computer can't have multiple keyboards attached via Bluetooth or something. So why are these not just separate devices? Like, why is there a cable at all? Is it? A, I mean, there is. You have to do two radios into the thing and be a little pricey, but it's a small market. Yeah. You could make them pricey. Well, this isn't this isn't a Bluetooth keyboard either. It's oh, okay, okay. So that alone like, is that might, quite, yeah, yeah. That's probably why. And yeah, maybe it's to cut costs. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I imagine creating these kind of keyboards. Mm-hmm. Maybe are more are probably more expensive than regular yeah. keyboards. Well, how much does this one cost? Maybe you? it's. Uh, I want to say it was like a hundred bucks. Okay. Well, in the keyboard world, that's not too bad. No, it's not. Also, this keyboard is quiet. Mm. Which I like. Mm. I do not like loud keyboards. I know that's a controversial opinion. <laughs> Mechanical clickety clack, but I don't. I don't want to do <laughs> just the way you said that. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Old just man. no respect for <laughs> clickety clacks. Yeah. No, get your clickety clacks off my desk. <laughs> I did because this keyboard does not have a numpad. I did have to get a num a separate numpad for it, which mm-hmm. you know also made the you know the whole make more room on my desk <laughs> thing not really happen. Yeah, um, but the, the 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 numpad that I have is super loud. Like I'm gonna mm-hmm. type on it now. Yeah, look at how obnoxious. Are you are you a person that, that needs needs a numpad? 
Um, I do like having an unpad. I specifically got the key or the the laptop I got because it has an unpad. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a gaming laptop. Yeah. Um, so I really, yeah, I just really enjoy that. And like, I I, I had this thing for like a week or two without a numpad and uh i would keep reaching over to get to the numpad i was like oh it's not there and then it would just make me annoyed so yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. i'll just spend the the 10 20 bucks or whatever and get a numpad mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it sounds like you Wonder... you designed this for a specific purpose it has failed that purpose but you're pretty happy anyway yeah yeah actually yeah that's <laughs> i mean that's a great outcome like uh-huh. <laughs> i wonder if the stretchy boy cable is there so that kids don't walk off with one half of your keyboard and you're left with like <laughs> just an empty space on your desk and some questions. Mm. That's a, you know, that's a good point. That would not be great if like the left half of my keyboard just wasn't. I mean, I didn't really think of that, but like my default mode, unlike Ellen, is not mischief. So. <laughs> <laughs> Dale's is though. <laughs> that's true. I, yeah. I, I live with a mischief maker. I, I should know right. better. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen, it says here you're not you have not played many games lately. This is a, a thing you oh. want to want to uh, process on the show. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, therapy corner. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just I uh, am a person who crams too much stuff in their schedules. Always, I know this about myself. I still can't help it. It's always a surprise to me. Like, oh, how did I get so busy? <laughs> but I feel so tired. And then I'm like, oh, because I did this and then I did this and then this, you know, and I feel bad that I didn't get to this, even though it's 10 p.m. and I've worked a full day and then did another thing. Yeah. Anyway, so I was kind of have been kind of kicking myself for not working in um, a lot of time for games between uh, just regular work stuff and um, some family stuff that happened recently. And then also I'm just like attacking the landscaping in our yard, um, which has been kind of languishing for the last couple of years we took down a tree because it was gonna fall on our house oh we took it down before it could actually fall on the house <laughs> and now, yeah <laughs> oh it's a bummer it made me so it was a big tree and yeah. that's, that's kind of sad but not as sad as i would be if it fell on my house right <laughs> um so i've just been spending a lot of time outside digging up plants and putting new plants in and digging up rocks and putting them back down and when I put it that way, it doesn't sound like a lot of work. It's a hell of a lot of work. Right. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think we've talked about this on the show. Like Sometimes games can recharge you and sometimes they can drain you. And yeah. depending on what's going on, like, it's one or the other. And for me, I'm getting some good community, like, group game in time in on Thursdays and then sometimes on Saturdays with you guys. And that's enough for now. But every time I'm picking up a weed, I'm like, be playing a game <laughs> yeah so and and i mean i think we talked about this on the show before too but it's like weird when you're like in the industry of games too because it just feels like you don't have as much time or drive to play games yeah it's just counterintuitive because all you know playing games is also research if you're in mm-hmm. the game mm-hmm. if you're in the games industry so um like you have to play games to keep up to date but you also need to make spend time making games which is yeah. not anywhere near as fun as playing games in a lot of cases. So uh, <laughs> it's like you got to split your focus. And stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I feel you on that. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's been a lot of uh, there's a long running debate of like, should 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 game developers be gamers? Like, should they? And, yeah. I, and we've talked about this on the show before. But like, mm-hmm. I saw a tweet recently. It was really interesting which, uh, from a writer who said, like, 
uh, writers focus a little bit too much on structure when, yeah. when actually it's not that hard and not that important. And I thought that was a really interesting <laughs> thing because you think about uh, a lot of art and like the, the, the sort of the, the craft of it, like the real, like a lot of the rules and like, how do you make something good? How does it make something so effective? And writers deal with this a lot, like, especially like screenwriters. And, and there's like the push and pull between like the right way versus the chaos way or whatever. And I, I, I've never heard it phrased that way, that it's not that hard and it's not that important. And I feel that's really true because like some of the best work that's ever been made in the world has been by people who have no idea what they're doing. And then the first yeah. of their life, they chase that again. Like there's, there's some magic to it. And that's a dangerous uh, thing to say because I, I believe in, I'm a very, I'm a technocrat. I believe in, 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 in skill and, and, and process and logistics. Right, but at right. the same time, mm-hmm. um, w- when I think about that in terms of like game developing, I feel, sometimes feel like, you know what? It's okay to not know some stuff. Like it's okay yeah. to not know what the, you know, it, not that it's not that you want to be reinventing the wheel or anything, but like, it's fine that you didn't include that feature. Like it's that you didn't even know it was a good idea. You didn't even know that that's mm-hmm. how the, the genre you're playing in is expected anymore. I mean, it gives you some challenges. It's, you know, obviously it makes, it's a whole different for marketing, whatever, but I think I, I, I hope game developers don't feel so guilty about not doing the research by playing all the latest yeah. whatevers. Um, yeah, for sure. So just keep picking up and putting down those rocks and you're good. Yep. And got all the big ones done. So <laughs> <laughs> now it's just little pebbles and stuff. You got to, Got to put in some plants. I'm making a little butterfly garden up front, so I'm going to put in some plants next weekend. That'll be good for butterflies to eat. Yeah. And I don't know. I think there's sometimes you just got to do what your brain wants you to do. And right now, my brain wants me to dig in the dirt, look at bugs, and make food for butterflies. And yeah. I'm, you know, I'm just going to lean into that. So this, the conclusion of this therapy corner was, I'm going to allow myself not to play games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Huge yeah. sacrifice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm just going to dig in the dirt and save some grubs. Cool. Well, that's all fine, but it means you're going to miss out on Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which I'm just a, <laughs> I'm I'm just about to dive into. And I'm like, oh, that'll be fun. And I'm like, oh, wait, yeah. that's three games. <laughs> oh, <Yes>. no. <laughs> I've oh, been watching some gameplay of it, and I remember I re- am reminded on how slow the first game starts. Yeah. I forgot. It mm-hmm. takes a while before you get to the actual fun stuff. And the, by fun stuff, controversial opinion, I mean the Maiko. Yeah. Talking about the, the, the six wheeled behemoth yeah. that drove around in all the moons and junk. I'm That's with you, Steven. Stuff. This, I, this is a 100% pro Mako podcast. And we're yeah. all, I loved Mako. <laughs> I loved how yeah, dumb it great. was. I loved everything about right. it. <laughs> yeah. And I think I, it takes like three hours before you actually get to do any of that stuff. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, gear up for that then, I guess, Mark. <laughs> I spent so much time just trying to see if I could get that to go over a bump. Like, yep. here's a here's an interesting looking polygon in the distance. I've... Let's see if I can jump it. Yeah! I tried yeah. to climb up vertical walls so frequently in that game. Right, yeah. <laughs> because I think yes. you couldn't flip it over. There was The, it, it, the game just wouldn't yeah. let you flip it backwards because of how silly that was. And But you got to get really close a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. great. Ah. Uh... Good stuff, and, then, and they're supposed to have changed it in the in the legendary edition, right? So I'd be curious. Hmm. On your yeah, but on like a lot of games, that you can toggle it on and off, apparently. So yes. you, can, you can make it bounce around like the like the Mako of old, or you can make it feel a little more like it's hugging the road, like a real vehicle on a plate in a place. Like, but <laughs> but honestly, who wants that? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. You're driving a, a giant <clears throat> truck on an alien planet where there are no roads. It's gonna feel bumpy. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Bounce, bounce, or bust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there should be more science fiction (laughs) that depicts variable gravity worlds because I think 
it looks silly and we need to get used to that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, I have been watching The Expanse and that's absolutely a thing that they, mm, they do in that yeah, series yeah. is they take, hey. take gravity into account in all sorts of different situations. But they have not so far in my watching or reading of the series gotten up to any real hijinks in vehicles um, oh. on planets. Mm. So we'll still have to rely on Commander Shepard for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of Mako, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. Novelty is my topic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's a new, the, 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 something new, um, new steering, yep. novel, whatever. It, you had a better one. Yeah, I did, I guess. <laughs> sure. Let's pretend I did. Use that and move on to this new topic. <laughs> novelty. That's my topic. Uh, I wanted to talk about novelty, I guess, because uh, it's something that's brought up a lot in our circles. Um, yeah, and and so I guess the first thing I want to do is really just define what novelty is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily something that's new because, like, when you first release a game, it's a new game that doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a feature that like hasn't really been seen before, or it rarely has been seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so like to take Vengeance for example, the the co op shoot 'em up gameplay where like you know we've got like um, RPG elements in it and stuff like that. That is a novelty of Vengeance. That is something that isn't really seen in a lot of games. Um, but the shoot 'em up gameplay is not novelty, right? Like that, that's in all, that's in the Bajillion and Two games. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all over the place. <clears throat> um, another example: Widget Satchel has the collectible weight puzzles, um, and really just like how do you you know how you maneuver the space, having knowing that like you get too many things, you can't jump as hard or move as fast. Um, that aspect of it is novelty. Um, though even I don't know how much we emphasize it in the marketing. I, I, I feel like we. I feel we emphasize it almost none at all. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the game has a lot of stuff in it, including yeah. ferrets and explosions. And I feel like ferrets and explosions are a little bit higher. It's a little bit easier to sell that. Down. Yeah, but yeah. I will, to, <laughs> to speak to that, not to go on too much a tangent. One of the I, yeah. I, I I went to a lot of GDC talks and watched a lot of things online about how to sell your right. indie game. And one of the one of the lessons I really took to heart was this idea of like. There's, there's the, 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 how, what your game is, and then what's the hook for your game, and it's never the right. same thing. And, uh, and, and yeah. so I, re- when we were sort of getting ready to release Witch's Satchel, I was very keen on thinking like the weight mechanic is what's new and and, and novel, but I couldn't imagine that selling the game because it's hard, yeah. it's hard to explain, and it's hard to convince someone that they even want it. Um, yeah, because it's a it's a it's it's a mechanism it's a mechanism to frustrate the player ultimately. Mm-hmm. So so really, it just became so the the uh, the doohickeys, the different tools, and the fact that and the the the, the sort of the nonviolent uh, Metroidvania light qualities, which are interesting, but not as I would say not as foundational to the core mechanics of the game as the, the weight system is. That became yeah. more of a focus of it. I don't know if that was the right decision, but it definitely something I thought about a lot. That like I didn't lean on the novelty when we wrote that copy, you know? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. And Ellen, you wrote um, some of that too. Like, I mean, I think we had those discussions about like what was important about what to say about the game. Yeah, and I think I convinced you that it was explosions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that had been a long campaign, like months. months. I, I recall. <laughs> I seem to believe that now. So it's a success. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm glad you brought up that mark because like i think that um um yeah just because something is novel in your game doesn't necessarily mean that that is a benefit towards like you know it doesn't ben- necessarily benefit the marketing of the game but it can be you know something exciting 
Yeah. But like if 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 you're not if the novelty aspect of your game is exciting and you think people will be excited about it, um, then uh, yeah, definitely like highlight that. I think you know there was a period of time where um games were a lot of like browns and grays and stuff mm -hmm. so like when we started adding more color palettes into our games <laughs> yeah um i think a lot of like a lot of those games highlighted that i know that like a big draw of um what's the game where you're like trying to create a star and you roll the ball around kind of maridamacy yeah mm -hmm. i figured it out as i was talking um like uh, that was you know a very cute and colorful game and i think a lot of the the marketing highlighted that because i think that was at the time i think that came out on ps2 right there were a mm -hmm. lot of like really edgy quote unquote or yeah. dark quote unquote <clears throat> games coming out at the time um and so like you know seeing that game out with all of those other things was a, a novel feature of it and it, i think that helped it like helped it grow an audience because a lot of people mm -hmm. um you know were interested in that kind of stuff that's a real interesting um, approach to the definition of novelty which isn't necessarily yeah. something new that's never been seen before it's something new mm -hmm. in the context of the space Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the brown and gray, like the war games, uh, you know, like it. It's not that we haven't had colorful shooters prior to that, but right. releasing one in that time would be novel. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Right. 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 Um. And so, like, yeah. So it's it's kind of it's kind of weird, like the way that novelty works, because it's not like, like I said, it's not a new thing. It's just a a thing that like. Feels like you haven't really seen it in a long time. It's something yeah. that feels like it's new. Feels like it's newer than it maybe is. It's um, a playful, a playful nudge against expectations. Hmm. Yeah. I guess. That's, or maybe more than a nudge, but it's yeah. It starts with that. Yeah. Yeah. Against expectations. So yeah, that's good. That's a good. That's a good description. I like that. Hmm. Um, another benefit of novelty is like you know you're 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 exploring a new space potentially if it's like if this is like a truly new feature. Um, or I guess if it's not like if a lot of games have just been exploring this kind of a thing, mm -hmm. um, you know, you explore like there's a bunch of there's a, a ton of like roguelikes out now, um, but there aren't a lot of 4X games. I know, you know, I play a lot of Civ. I keep I play too much Civ and that's probably why I'm bringing <laughs> this up now. Um, <laughs> there aren't a lot of 4X games. Um, so like new games coming out that are, you know, exploring what a 4X game is. Uh, you know, allows you to explore fancy different things that other previous 4X games have not explored. Mm -hmm. And, be, you know, because it's a, it's a, it feels like a new thing, you can use that to your advantage. Uh, describe stuff. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, um, another thing, I guess another th benefit of novelty is like people will be extra hyped because it's like something new. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. People, people, a lot of times people like new stuff or things they haven't really seen before or haven't seen a lot of. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So right, there's the marketing of it, but also when I boot up the game to play, that yeah. that 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 excitement of of it being new or different, it, independent of what it got, what it took to me to buy the thing, that's a way yeah. to, and 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 the novelty is by definition then fleeting. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. It totally is. Right. 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 Like, well, I mean, you brought up Mass Effect, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the first Mass Effect was very novel because I don't think there were a lot of RPG set in, in you know in a space opera sort of world, mm -hmm. um, um, and so you know. But by the time that this game is coming out now, there's, there has been four Mass Effect games and um, a bunch of other games that have taken place in space and they have that sort of stuff, and a bunch of Star Wars movies. 
and like new Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. A bunch of more. There's a lot of space stuff going on. Even Marvel has space stuff now. So like it doesn't feel it doesn't yeah. feel as novel as it did back then. Yeah. Um. But like when Mass Effect first came out, there's a bunch of hype for it because you know it was a new space thing. Mm-hmm. Um, space things are cool. So like people were hyped for it, and it helps it helps you like feel good about like the world you're working on because like people will see you at a conference or something, or they'll you know watch a trailer at E3 or whatever, and they go, "Oh wow, space thing! I like space." Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm laughing, but that's totally my reaction to that stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, mine yeah. too. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, I think like some of the downsides of novelty though is like, um, because you haven't explored the space. Or because like people haven't explored the space as much, or they haven't explored it as recently, it's not necessarily as modern. It's like uncharted. Like mm-hmm. you won't, um, you won't be able to like Google how to make really fun shooter. You know, mm-hmm. if it, you're not making a shooter, if you're making something really very different. Yeah. Um, I mean, at this point, you know, we we we've got a lot of games out there where you can certainly like find a bunch of different. Um, games that were maybe unique back in the day that aren't, you know, aren't seen as much now. Um, and you can learn some insights from that. But those games might be older and they might, they're not as modern. And so mm-hmm. like they, they might have made some decisions that certainly wouldn't, they may not have been, that might not be made today. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's something to look out for. And, um, also new and sca- new things are scary sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> So like it might actually like alienate some people in the audience. Like people like comforting things, and that's why like people keep making the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, comfortable. Um, and it's not necessarily a bad thing to have that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that like like seeking out novelty can be good, but it, it isn't necessarily something that you always have to go out for because new things aren't always better. They're just they're just new and they're just sometimes different. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Do you think. It's possible. Well, and this actually shakes us a few ideas for me. Yeah. Because, um, you know, like our brains are hard, are wired really to respond to novelty. So things that are new in your environment, like are important for some reason. That's what we have. That's the that's our operating system and the yeah. way that it's set up because new things are potentially dangerous or they're potentially like I found a found a pile of berries and I can eat them. And yeah share them you know good stuff Mm -hmm. um so we are wired to pay attention to novelty but then if it isn't lasting in if it is interesting in a lasting way then it soon just becomes part of the background yeah and it's interesting i think we'll get into this again from a different angle when we talk about intuition later in this episode Mm -hmm. um but the the novelty is something i often am chasing with games right so i don't I don't have, I have genres that I do sometimes that I do like, but I like playing everything because I like the novelty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then I, I just, I dump games pretty fast these days. Um, once I feel like I'm getting the gist of it and it's like, okay, I've gotten the gist of it is, does this have lasting fun um, beyond the novelty? Mm-hmm. And often the answer is no. And I just want to install it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's, that's an interesting thing to think about because it makes me ask the question, you know, what is it, what is that recipe or what is what are what characteristics do games have um, when those games are able to pass that novelty curve into lasting fun? And I think one of the one of the pieces of that recipe for success, at least for me as a player, is the novelty isn't just front loaded. Yeah. Like, 
There's yeah. meaningful moments of that fun surprise throughout the game. And what comes to mind right now is Breath of the Wild, like those little Korok puzzles. Those felt like novelty to me, sprinkled in throughout the game. You yeah. not because you, I mean, there were so many of them, so it's not like they were new, um, but they were often put in places that made you think, "Oh, I didn't expect there to be one," or like, "Oh, I bet there's one over there." No, there is, you know, and it's a new one. What kind would it be? Right. Like that, I think, was a good example of of pulling in novelty throughout the entire game. Um, That's a. a I just want to yeah. stay on that for a bit because one of the things about Korok puzzles that are interesting is that. Uh, when when I played the game, I I told myself I'm not going to find all these because it's not going to be fun to find them all. But the system is kind of designed for that. It's to, like if mm-hmm. if there's like okay, so Assassin's Creed, you got to pick up all the feathers, right, or whatever. One of the old Assassin's Creed games. Each one is a challenge, and you don't know where they all are, and it actually takes some work to. It's a task to go find them. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty expected. That's to get the secrets to collect the things. You got to go find the puzzle pieces or whatever. But in in Breath of the Wild, you stumbled upon these things all the time. And so it, yeah. that's what was novel about it. Even though the mechanic is like super simple, the 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 challenges to to collect them sometimes when there were were very some of them were kind of janky or even broken, but like it didn't matter because like the this is that below the surface novelty. Everything about Breath of the Wild uses the existing language of games. It invented mm-hmm. pure invention. There's very little new in there. But the yes. way it was assembled and the whole of it. Um, that's such a good example because I've been trying to, people always talk about how unique it is. And I'm like, if you really break it down to its pieces, there's nothing new in that game, but that's not yeah. the way to think about it. Right. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. the whole collaborative became a novelty as a result of, you know, yeah. the, the sum of the, sum of the pieces made it that way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really all of the individual things that made it that mm-hmm. way. Well, I mean, arguably, there was the whole weapon breaking thing. I don't know how novel that is, but people didn't like that. So, <laughs> right. Even though I feel like that's core to the game, and the game would not work without it, I don't. People didn't like. It. There, there uh, are well, opinions, yeah. So, yeah, there are. That's opinions. another question: Is novelty yeah. a positive? It, like, it I, is. It right. isn't always. I think that it sometimes is not, and I, I think you bring up a very good point, Ellen, because I think that a lot of times, um, like the the novelty will be front loaded, or the novelty will be all that the game kind of is for its own sake. I mean, yeah, yeah. And and that's, and that's fine. Cause like it might be, it might end up being the case that like, you know, you, you figured out this novel thing and you wanted to explore the space and the space you explored feels like it wasn't very shallow or it was, it ends up being shallow. Um, and that is okay. Like you could just make that like small experience and that's fine. But I think that sometimes people will take novelty or like games will take a novelty and make it a whole thing and make it like, 200 levels of content when like you really could have just stuck with like 50 solid things and gotten mm-hmm. to the point after a while yeah um yeah um so i it it it, it, it and and because like novelty wears off over time like as you're playing the game you know you'll start getting the point where like oh i get it now but then you're like there's you know another 150 levels you've got to complete in life well, I'm not going to waste my time doing all this and then you just fall off of it. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, and that's not, that's not fun for the, the, the developer or the mm. player. So, no. um, yeah, so it, it can, I, it can, it can be potentially more harmful and good in some cases. I, I see a lot of mobile games make that mistake. Even ones that are made by like big names, um, like Pokemon, oh, Pokemon Quest. I was playing that for a while, mm-hmm. um, which is very like, general audience friendly and you have a little you know it's plays on the whole idea that kids like cubes these days <laughs> yeah. um so you have these little cube pokemon you're running around on a cube island and you're yeah 
fighting other cube Pokemon and catching cube things and yeah. doing that doing that stuff. And it, it was pretty pretty great. Um until basically like they unlocked this entire island and I could go anywhere, but I yeah. didn't quite have the levels I needed to for Pokemon. It was just like, okay, well this is a grind now and I don't really mm. want that anymore. What right. what was fun up to that point was like being able to use different combinations of Pokemon and have them do different things. But about like like at a certain point in the game, it was just I had the complete picture of all the tools. I felt like I had the complete picture of all the tools that were available to me to beat the rest of the game. And it just wasn't enough. Um, and I picked up like a random ant game earlier today. It's just a prime example. And I got through the tutorial and it was like, OK, now go do your thing. And it's like, this isn't this isn't fun anymore. You've just given me like a checklist. Um, yeah. And it's like they rely upon that novelty, especially like the novelty of the theme so yeah. heavily mm-hmm. that once you get past it, there's just it felt it feels like there's nothing there, even though there mm-hmm. probably is. And if I were to maybe push through the feeling of loss that I am working through after the novelty wears off, if I push through that, there probably is a good there's like a lot of fun to be had and good gameplay in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that novelty wearing off is such a disappointment that I just don't work past it i'll just go install the next game yeah get past the novelty curve with that one and then just go install the next one i guess yeah until i find something that really has staying power yeah for better or worse i don't know yeah maybe that makes me a quitter no i don't think so i mean i i yeah i think that just like i don't know my my brother kind of is the same way he'll be playing a whole bunch of new things all the time and he gets on my nerves because sometimes he'll be like hey hey you want to play this game and i'll be like no and then he'll be like Hey, do you want to play this game? And I'll be like, no. And it's the same thing over and over again. It's just a constant stream of Charles trying to get me to play games. Yes, I'm calling you out on stream. He can say it about it when he's on the show. He today. just wants oh, to hang out with his brother. <laughs> How we dare can do he ask you to share a passion? Just, How could you, we Steven? We can watch TV. <laughs> I like TV. We, we can watch TV. It doesn't have to be a game. You, you heard okay. it, folks. Steven does not like games. He likes TV. <laughs> You guys want to come over and dig in my garden? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you said you moved a lot of the big rocks already, so sure. Yeah, exactly. Now it's just the dirt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like he, so like he will, he will, you know, he will play new games on. He tends to like, I, I, well, no, he plays some of them fully, and some of them he doesn't. Mm -hmm. It gets on his nerves, I guess. But like, he does like trying to play new things and stuff a lot. But I do oftentimes hear Charles like describe this game and go like, wow, this game is too long. Or um, I like what they were doing for a little bit, but then like I fell off of it pretty quick and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So like it, it, I don't I, I, um, I think that like it's kind of hard too because like when you're making a game, you want to make a fully fleshed out game and you want people to feel like they got their money's worth mm-hmm. too. Um, so it's like a difficult kind of uh, um, uh, balance to, to get yeah reach um with with this kind of stuff um and it's kind of weird too because we're talking about things in generic terms because novelty can mean so many different things mm-hmm. like there's so many different ways you can be novel that it's difficult to like describe how to take the tool of novelty and use it to best you know implement in your game because like it's right, not really right. something you can do um in that in that same way yeah um, it's not it's not a recipe it's very contextual right, mm-hmm. right. and also audience dependent to a certain degree you know yeah. mm-hmm. that's very like true. yeah, yeah one of those things when you like evaluate something. old work and this is true of all mediums is yep. to like the 
I mean, I've always said novelty for its own sake is overrated, but like it, the context is so important. And so you think about things that don't seem so interesting anymore or were from before your time. And you have to really yeah. transport your mind back to the context in which it lived to understand right. the, the full of it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Actually, that's a good point because like novelty um, in some respects can just mean representation, um, which is, I mean, like, uh, I guess it's a different beast. We talked about it on previous yeah. shows, episodes in the past, but like it, it, that, that's not a, that's not like a, that's, I guess that's a different thing, sort of, right? Yeah. Like when, you know, if you decide you want to put uh, uh, a non-binary character in your game or something, that's not novelty for the sake of novelty. Um, it's a different kind of thing. And right. you're not describing but 30 years from now, it might feel yeah. really like like a, a trite or basic. Yeah, um, and, exactly. And, and, and yeah. it will be right. That'll be true. Mm -hmm. um, a good yeah. example of this, uh, um, you know, get ready is Star Trek. The, you know, uh, the uh, Uhura, black woman on the bridge in a position of power. But that right. role was not very meaty for Nichelle Nichols. And she said that. In the yeah. Past. And so we look at that now yeah. and we're like, what was the big deal? Like, this is, yeah. isn't that kind of disrespectful, actually, to have someone on and not really give them a lot to do? But and that's true. Like that, that is true. Like it, it's right. just, but also the, another thing is true is that it was revel, revelatory at the time. Um, right. And so that doesn't absolve you from like the, 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 the deficiencies we now see in it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, that's a really good angle on it. The representation and like it, novelty isn't just for like, like fun and, and surprise novelty yeah. could apply to any uh, component of your world yeah. building or storytelling or presentation or business model or anything right yeah yeah exactly and that's why we have to talk about it in such generic terms because it can just be you know it can be anything <laughs> mm -hmm. um yeah uh i guess i i want to bring it back to like the games that we've been working on um with respect to fingence um and novelty like we wanted to make fingence um a team game so like we we um built that to the core of it um, and that's why it has those RPG-esque elements in it. You, we've got the three core roles, the trifecta or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you've got the tanks, you've got the, 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 the damage dealers, you've got the, the, the healers, mm -hmm. the supports. Um, and we put that in there so like people can like get in there and not necessarily have to be super good at shoot 'em up gameplay, but also like let's still be able to contribute to a team. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like this, that was important to us because like also we weren't very good at shmups. I think my brother probably was, but and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> other than, but like me and like me and um, Lane really didn't have a lot of experience with shoot 'em ups at the time. Um, so like we wanted to make it feel we wanted to make it feel different because like that isn't the the shoot 'em up gameplay wasn't necessarily the thing we wanted to do. We felt like there was a lot of depth in shoot 'em up gameplay to make it team oriented mm -hmm. um, in a way that like other games feel like did didn't quite hit at as well. Um, so like, that's why we kind of approached it that way. You know what um, I find and it new, worked out. You know uh, yeah. what I find new about Vengeance and is kind of beside that point a little bit, which is okay. the RPG elements are meant to, so you can build out a team, right? It's in service yeah. of the co-op mechanics, but what it does for me, and I, I imagine this is true for other players is mm -hmm. it, in, it, I'm more invested in my character. Um, sure. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, because not just because I can customize it, but because I have control over it in a way that's yeah. different from gameplay control over it. And so, you know, I think that when when you're bad at a at a, a genre that that is that has a real t high difficulty curve, like a shoot 'em up, where like you, it takes you a little while to understand the basic language of, of it, so you're not just terrible, right? Yeah. Um, in Fingence, 
it's I think it's much quicker to become invested in the health and survival of this this cute sub. Um, yeah, uh, the storytelling does a, a little bit of that work, but more than it is for other games that that I might enjoy the settings or style or, or story from because the mechanics bring me into it a little bit quicker in a way. Right. And that's a consequence of that. And that feels really new and interesting to me. I think that's probably why a lot of people who are not interested in shoot 'em ups just love Fingeance. Yeah. In in a, in, a, in a different respect, though, like we, we, we had some novelty in Widget Satchel. Um, we talked about that a little bit. We have like the weight, the collectibles weight mm-hmm. thing where like as you get more as you collect more stuff, um, you, your your um, sprocket slows down and jumps lower, or jumps can't jump as high. Um, and that is a um, the reason why we have that in the game really is because like that was the core part of the uh, the game jam that we originally built, yeah. built Widget Satchel in. Um, but we left it in there like because we felt like there was um we felt like there was a lot of potential in there and i think that over time as we developed the game we kind of steered away from that mechanic um in a lot of cases mm-hmm. um, and i think part of it was just because like it, it, well like i think like you were saying mark it ended up oftentimes frustrating the player in ways that like mm-hmm. we didn't really want um well we wanted it to be and- a a puzzle generation machine Right. We wanted yes. that was our goal. To, that's why we wanted to keep it. And we said, this is a great mechanic. We didn't have we built three short levels in the jam, but we saw the potential to build a whole system of puzzles around this traversal yeah. puzzles, mechanical puzzles, sequencing stuff. You know, we really saw that. I think ultimately that that ambition, like in terms of the way we had did our workflow and the time we had to build it, I think that's why it felt we needed to move away from it a little bit is because yeah. I don't know that we could be super true to that i still think we've talked about how the sequel i think i've said to you in a sequel i think maybe we could drop that because there's enough else in that widget satchel as like a brand as a franchise that would be valuable um not that yeah. anyone cares that much about holding on to those sorts of things but like there's enough in that game that that could survive into something else it doesn't need that mechanic right. even though it was core original and i think you were saying oh but there was so much potential i would love to try again um yeah. i could I, I can come on board with that i i um but it was we set a challenge for ourselves that and then I don't know, I don't know that we get we got there. We did get there, but I don't know that we got there as we did it as much as we would have wanted to, right? Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, um, actually, that's a good point. Like with with respect to like game jams and things, like there's a lot of novelty because like you're making a game in mm-hmm. such a short period of time. There's a lot of things um, that you can try out and then just yeah. you know, completely. The risks um, are so low, so why not try something yeah. new mm-hmm. and weird? Well, I mean, y'all worked on a game jam recently, right? Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you did you feel like you approached some form of novelty with the game that you made? Really, Ellen? Oh gosh, <laughs> I um I don't know if we did it on purpose, uh, okay. but I do feel like we went into the team went into the jam with the shared understanding that we wanted to stay away from things that felt like low hanging fruit. Um, Not to say that like a, a, you know, platformer or a shooter is like easy to make, but conceptually it was straightforward, especially once we got the theme. Um, That's why there are like lots and lots of digging games in the most recent Ludum Dare Mm -hmm. or Dare, however you want to pronounce it. (laughs) Um, But we wanted to do something that, that wasn't like the first idea that we picked up. Yeah. Um, and we put up like picked up a lot of different takes on the theme and put them down and put up you know tossed them to the side until we came up on 
the one that we ended up using for Sonder, which was the idea of going deeper and deeper into memory. Mm -hmm. um, so I think perhaps on the theme, mm -hmm. um, we did some novelty. Um, well, we approached, we took the theme and we applied it to the story. And so I think that it freed us up to just make whatever. Like we weren't, we weren't focused on novelty and mechanics. And I think also, I think we did a pretty good job of not care, building it out as if no one had ever made a game before ever. Like, like, because uh, Ellen, you told us all, like, let's come up with a, a feeling we want to have. And we all, we came to an agreement on that and we said, okay, well, what do we make to do that? And I, I feel like mm -hmm. we used very little of our existing languages, like in terms of, um, I mean, I think intuitively we, we, we did, but I think, and maybe just, is that making sense? Like, yeah. I think rather than like going for novelty, we just, we just didn't bother with convention. Sure. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I was thinking. We just didn't think about it. We didn't say, okay, so um, we want to do a, a game on memory and we're going to make it like a visual novel. Mm -hmm. I don't, we didn't do that. And what we came up with, I think, has lots of mechanics that are similar to some yeah, visual yeah. novels or some very narrative focused games with you know, you know lots of object interaction, a little bit of those like 2D adventure stories. There's a little bit of that feeling. But the, the reason it might feel novel is because we didn't start with, we're going to build this kind of game. We started with, we're going to build a game that results in this experience. Right. And that led us to make decisions that may end up feeling novel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, um, maybe that's a good, maybe that's just good advice for any team where you're going with something that's in an established genre or, or you're focusing only on story or you're focusing specifically on a great mechanic that you prototyped and you want to build a game around that is... Mm -hmm is yeah, just come up with what you want it to do and then just make it do that. And then like, don't worry necessarily about trying too hard for novelty. Um, yeah. And and I think it can be very tempting to, oh, this is new and interesting and then lean into it. Um, and I guess I don't have an opinion. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's a good thing when you notice that, reach for it. Or maybe when you notice that, just let it pass by and keep going. Like, I'm not really sure what the best practice is Depends. There. I don't, I don't have yeah, good advice there. I don't think there. there is one. Yeah. I think it depends on the game that you're making and who yeah. you're making it with all the all the all that jazz. Um yeah. which is everyone's favorite and least favorite answer is it depends. <laughs> yeah. But right. it does. Because mm -hmm. I know novelty is contextual, right? Like right. so it's something you have to rely upon your intuition to do. Hey folks, I know you like to listen to the show. It's your favorite thing. We know that for certain. That we, we that's an answered question. We know. You, oh yeah. You love yeah. us. But did you know there's other ways to engage with Nice Games Club? No, no, you didn't. I know that also for a fact. Um, for a fact. Right. <laughs> for example, we have the feedback form, which is where I get all these facts from. Um, <laughs> we also, of course, have our email address, which you can contact us directly. Let us know what we're doing, how we're doing. Yeah. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. Of course, you could be a patron, and we talk about that enough. Um, mm. And you know, we can. We also have a little Discord community that's really fun. Um, Ellen, I hear that you have a little bit of uh, of a play-by-play, uh, -play, a little bit of a summary as to what's been going on lately in that little community. When you said play-by-play, -play, it made me feel like I have to take on like a sports reporter. And, <laughs> yes, and that's I exactly can't. what I meant. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll, you don't want to hear this. <laughs> Let's see if I can do it. Oh no. <laughs> well, okay. A couple weeks ago, what was happening at the left end of the field? Was we were talking about some game jam prompt ideas. Yeah. And yeah. I think the specific word that came up was like, the turns have tabled. 
So I would oh. love to do something on that um, later, but oh, there's more action on the Discord. What? Um, look at the other guys coming from the other side of the field. You guys tell I don't sports much. Yeah, I'm just enjoying much. how badly this is going. I'm getting a real <laughs> kick out of it. <laughs> it's so terrible. Um, yes, okay, so letting the shtick go because it wasn't I wasn't holding on to it very well anyway um we have a lot of a lot of conversations with some of our fans on discord and um most of it's just like the fans talking amongst themselves and and that's pretty cool so people have talked about some people they might want to have on for interviews and some topics for discussion there are some secret fans of evil games club lurking about are they allowed like that's not that's not right (laughs) I can't I can't yeah well, we're nice, so we're not going to kick anyone out. Oh, we're trapped. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> we didn't call ourselves Sorta Nice Games Club, which was, would have left the door open for us yeah. to... Yeah, it's arms <laughs> <laughs> um, And then, of course, the debate that I mentioned earlier, is it Ludum Dare or Ludum Dare? And also, of course, the ongoing debate of whether it's GIF or JIF. Um, oh, yeah, how to pronounce Godot. Yeah, Godot or who knows anymore? These are fun conversations you can get involved in, too, <laughs> on our Discord. Uh, which you can reach at where, Stephen? NiceGames.club slash Discord. Correct. Okay, good. I got it right. <laughs> <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So, Ellen, you were saying? <laughs> the, the transition was so smooth, and then I just didn't quite nail it, because I'm laughing too much about that ridiculous. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, okay, so I mentioned this on the show often enough, but uh, I'm a learning experience designer by day and a podcaster gamer person by weekend. Um, and as part of like the ongoing reading and knowledge gathering, I try to do for my day job. I've been reading a book called educating intuition by Robin M. Hogarth. Mm. Um, I'm not making very quick progress, but that's okay because this book is so incredibly dense. Like it is packed with lots of really interesting things and it's very, um, very, there's a lot in here, Mm -hmm. a lot of good words, a lot of good ideas. And that's, probably one of the reasons why I'm so slow getting through it. Also because it's hard to dig in your garden and read at the same time. If you're trying to read a paper book. Right? Yeah. I imagine, you know, holding a giant rock in the book at the same time is a little, little tricky. No, no. rock takes full attention. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I'm just imagining like a small library buried underneath all the rocks in your garden now. 
Have you been over to my house? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to edit that out just for security. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's an older book. It was published in 2001. Um, and, but I think it's still, I think it's still relevant. There's, it's um, not really, a, it's not research, right? It's not a research paper. It's mm-hmm. uh, not an academic text. It's kind of like a pop, more of a pop sci work. Although okay. I wouldn't say that it's written in the style that today's pop sci works would be. Ah. So um, if you end up picking it up, don't expect it's going to be like moonwalking with Einstein. It's not that kind of like story centered mm-hmm. book, um, but it is really interesting. And one of the things that we're talking about in the or that Hogarth is talking about in the beginning of, the beginning of this book is what is intuition and why is it so? Why do we feel like it's so important to us? Why is there so much discussion about it? How does it lead to decision making? Um, and I became really curious about how this idea of rapid decision making or intuitive action um, relates to gameplay. So that's what I wanted to talk about a little bit today. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about a little bit is what what we mean by intuition. Um, and there are going to be some links to some short YouTube videos that we're going to put in the show notes that kind of take different approaches to this. Uh, one of the things that I, uh, phrases that I came across, um, that I really liked was adaptive unconscious. So it's, it's not, it's not reasoning that happens with your conscious attention. It's processing that happens unconsciously and then has a result. So the way that Hogarth talks about it paper sounds (laughs) (laughs) he proposes that he thinks the essence of intuition is that um intuitions or intuitive responses are reached with little apparent effort and typically without conscious awareness they involve little or no conscious deliberation and when i was thinking about like that's how a lot of the decisions we make while we're playing a game are made you're just doing it like if you get stumped on something then you maybe will stop and think about it but I usually get stumped on something after I've like just gung ho try to do it a couple times, you know, yeah. like I'll just flail around a little bit and I won't stop and actually consciously think about what I'm doing until I've made a few intuitive attempts at solving the puzzle or whatever and haven't succeeded. Sure. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the the first thing that, that comes to mind with me. Um, I don't know. I'm curious. Does that resonate with you guys? Is that no, like, that's, that's super good. Cause like, I think that's something that like you, like, it's really good specifically for like tor- tutorialization and like getting people to learn mm-hmm. a thing is like you can try to exploit what people's like intuitions are and you and, and actually trick them into learning something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Or, you know, and that's one of the one of the things I wanted to touch on today mm-hmm. um, was like using or being being aware of intuition and mm-hmm. making sure that you're playing into it when you want to, and maybe playing against it when you want to. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause I think yeah. playing against intuition might be a way that you can create some novelty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but playing, you know, there are certain things that you, where you want to lean into intuition, like interface. Um, Cause if you play against intuition with interface, people are going to get frustrated because the interface isn't the game, right? The interface is right. the way that your players are interacting with your game. Um, and so your interface, you probably want to follow conventions and lean to- into intuition. Whereas with your game, you're going to play around with it some more. Um, I was thinking about so, puzzle design, yeah. like that idea mm-hmm. of uh, when you were saying you you try something intuitively before you stop and think about it. One of the things that in designing puzzles and playing puzzles, it's frustrating when it lets me try some stuff. 
right? Yeah. It, le- it lets me intuit it because it's, it's not going to work because there's no way I'm going to intuit the solution, but it kind of gives me the impression I can. And then I bang, you know, I bang my head or my character against a wall for a little while. And then I got to stop and really think about it. It, it, it. Then it feels a little bit like I wasted some time. Whereas mm-hmm. if the game was much more, could be much more upfront about now's the time to stop and think, but that's a real challenge, right? Mm-hmm. To like play yeah. against the intuition, like in the design. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Steven? Um, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I think it's, yeah. I think, first thing, I just think the first thing I, that comes to you. Uh, <laughs> uh, Respond intuitively. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, I think, yeah, it's part of the thing is, is that like everybody has a different intuition. It's not really something you, you can exploit it if you like know your audience really well. Mm. Um, and that's, I mean, that's kind of hard to say too, because like you know, your audience, everybody in your audience is going to be different. Um, mm-hmm. Even so, like even if you know your audience really well, they're still gonna like, you know, get into it a little differently. Um, but I think like, it, yeah, it's it's just it's it's just kind of hard to actually use it. Mm-hmm. Well, Stephen, this is an opportunity to repeat your mantra, which is play test, play test, play test. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah, you can get a better understanding of what people might intuitively do. Yeah. Um, What's human intuition versus player intuition versus genre savvy intuition? I'm versus individual intuition, right? Yeah. And sort some of that out. I'm again Mm -hmm. reminded of uh, the first time I played Verdant Skies, um, Mm -hmm. where there's that part where you're walking in, and I think the the character's name is Jade. She tells you, don't touch anything, don't go into this room, just come straight to my office. And me, being the rule follower that I am immediately went into her office. Whereas I think most people, when they played the game, they went, they, you know, went around and touched stuff because they felt like that was an invitation to do the exact opposite of what that person <laughs> told you to do. Uh, and so they figured out how to like uh, customize the character and stuff. And so mm-hmm. when I, I, I came back and I, um, I played through it and stuff and I, I, I came back to Beth and I was like, how did I, how do I change my character? I couldn't figure out how to do that. And, and she was like, um, you could just go to the mirror and, uh, customize your character and i was like i i i was told not to go anywhere <laughs> i was told to go straight to the office <laughs> yeah um, yeah example. <laughs> right so like in in that instance my intuition was to just follow the directions but in yeah. other cases like you um i think a lot of players will experience this you're playing like a, a platformer or something and you land like and there's a split and you can go left or right i think a lot of people went into it that like right is the way you're supposed to go because oftentimes platformers go from left to right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're a player that's interested in exploration and stuff, you'll go to the left because you're like, well, there's going to be some hidden stuff over there and I'm going to go find yeah. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you can you, you can use that to your uh, advantage if you expect people to do that. And you can actually hide stuff in there. Or you can, you know, like have players waste their time and go to the left and there's just a dead end. Yeah. And then you go, ha, 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 and, you know. And sometimes that's fun. <laughs> there's, there's an example of this in Widget Satchel that I designed yeah. for the very last level, which is a auto scroller where you where you're on a platform that goes down, 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 and the right. the path you're on uh, the the paths split. So when you pick a path, you can't pick the other, and so yeah, um, you just want to get the most widgets going down because weight doesn't matter anymore because there's no need to jump, and you're falling yeah. so fast that you can actually jump higher than you would in previous parts of the game. So it's a little bit of a fun reward for the player for sticking with it. Mm-hmm. Um. And there's a couple of places where sections repeat and 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 it's almost a little bit of a gag where the 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 path that has widgets versus the path that doesn't it uh, toggles back and forth. But then the next time you encounter it, the game knows you knew how it worked before and it starts off with the alternate. So you're like, OK, so this one's reversed. 
but it's actually not. It's both are on the left instead of one on the left, one on the right. And yeah, <laughs> and the the that plays with the player's intuition. And the lesson I want players wanted players to learn from that was that you can't know this until you try it. And so look for a way to try it again. And so yeah. it's meant to motivate the player to find the door to go back up there and, and go through another way to get all the yeah. widgets. I don't That's know how successful good. it was, but that was the intent well, is to play with the intuition of the player. Yeah. And, and to, to make it, you know, hopefully it didn't feel an, uh, entirely like just a prank on the player. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, a, but that's good, motives. though, because like you did you use the, the, the pranking that I was, you know, suggesting <laughs> people could do um, <laughs> to like try to teach players like and uh, try to get players to do something that like they might not instinctively try to do otherwise. Yeah. And I think that's mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that makes me, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned all these things because you know, intuition is going to interact with all the different layers of gameplay, like the interface, the mechanics, the dynamics, aesthetics. Um, everyone's going to bring their intuition to that experience and everyone's intuition about playing the game is going to be informed by everything that's crammed into your unconscious, right? Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that we're starting, that, you know, Hogarth is starting to get into in the section of the book where I am is where does intuition come from? Um, and it's it's something you can train, right? Because a lot of your intuition is based on your experience. Um, again, it's unconscious processing. So um, everything that you do as a player across multiple games is going to shape your intuition and your responses, those unconscious responses that you're having in the moment um, when you're playing a new game. Mm -hmm. So you're you're bringing that history with you. So if you've played a lot of platformers, you're probably going to go left and check it out because you know there's probably a secret over there. Maybe there is. Maybe it's that type of platformer. Yeah. And if there is, then it confirms, yes, this is this type of platformer. And that's going to shape your intuition for the rest of the game. Right. Um, but even beyond just the first few seconds of a, you know, of a game or like the tutorial level or the onboarding, um, you as the game designer are shaping the player's intuition about how that game works itself. Right. So, you know, the intuition about there might be another door um, coming at the end of the, the Plinko level, right? Where you're mm -hmm. falling, the auto scroll level um, is going to be, present for players who've done some exploration earlier in the game and found a lot of those secrets and extra socks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's more likely to occur to those people because their experience has um, primed them to, to, you know, intuitively look for those things or intuitively mm -hmm. think, you know, think of those as possibilities. Mm -hmm. um, well, this also involves really a level of trust too. Like you, the, yeah. the, mm -hmm. and, and so you, it's a, it's a powerful and dangerous tool, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing just to bring bring over a little bit more instructional theory into yeah. the Nice Games Club podcast. Um, thinking of that, the progression of a player's ability is like thinking of a person's progression um, from unconscious incompetence to co unconscious competence. I'm not sure if I've ever talked about this with the podcast before, but if I have, it's been a long time. So we'll go through these again. So whenever you're starting, whenever you're on the pro like on the path of starting a new thing. The, f the first place you are generally is unconscious incompetence. You don't even know that you're bad at it. Um, when you start trying to do the thing, then you realize that you're pretty bad at it. You know that you're bad at it. You have, you have conscious incompetence. Um, then you start to gain some skills. And as you practice those skills, that set of skills moves from conscious incompetence to conscious competence. So you know that you can do the thing, but you still have to think about it a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, 
So like you ask a, um, <laughs> you ask me to do a cartwheel and I'm going to say I can't because I am consciously incompetent about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you taught me how to do a car wheel, first of all, someone should pay you because wow. <laughs> and second of all, I would always still be in the very, like the conscious competence area. I could do a cartwheel, but I'm probably never going to practice it enough to be able to just, you know, bang out a cartwheel without thinking about it. Like mm. I'm going to have to say, okay, put my feet this way and my hands this way and don't hold your breath or maybe hold your breath. See, I don't know. Um, and then do your thing. But you talk up to an Olympian and you say, okay, you're an Olympic gymnast, do a cartwheel. They just do a cartwheel. Yeah. Like they wouldn't have to think about it to the level of mm -hmm. um, detail yeah. that I would. They'd be able to kind of operate in that adaptive, unconscious sphere. Right. Well, we've all so, heard the phrase, it's like riding a bike. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. If you learned how to ride a bike, you've gone through these stages. I mean, if you learned how to do anything, you've gone through these mm -hmm. stages. If you if you've gotten to the point where you are like a comfortable just doing the thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Have you, ha, ha, has anyone ever receded from conscious, competent, incompetent, no, what was it? Unconscious competence to uh, conscious, comp, uh, has anyone receded? <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah. Okay, I think good. So. Um, I think that's pretty common if you, if you don't keep up on your practice of a yeah. skill, yeah. then you're going to, it's the, we, we call that getting rusty. Sure. Right? Yeah. Your skills get rusty. So like, okay. Um, when I was in college, I played the trombone, um, when I was a music major and I decided not to be a music major because I didn't like to practice. Um, <laughs> but I was very good at the, at the trombone. Mm -hmm. Uh, I haven't played the trombone in a long time. And if I yeah. picked it up, I bet it could, I bet I could make it sound really good, but I'd have to really think about it. Um, yeah. at least for a while until probably for a couple hours until I settled into it again. Right. Right. Um, I, I really like the, 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 um, the saying, you know, it's like riding a bike because I forgot how to ride a bike <laughs> and had there to relearn go. how to do it. So, oh, so you're asking just to like, am I normal? <laughs> is what yeah, it sounds, sounds like I am. Yeah. And I imagine that's the case for a lot of people, too. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. But but so 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 um, how 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 does this how where can we how can we use this instructional learning? Um, well, I think so you can think about that in terms of um, you can think about the gameplay and the mechanics and the. Um, like the things that you're teaching your player to do throughout your game within those quadrants. And so if you're, when you're starting a game, um, your, your player is starting the game and they don't know anything. They are at a, they are consciously incompetent. They know right. they aren't good. However, <laughs> depending on the level of experience that your player has with maybe your genre of game, they might actually really quickly get to a level of unconscious or unconscious competence with certain mechanics right sure. so like within two seconds of me starting a game that has a jump mechanic in it if that uses a button like the a button mm -hmm. <laughs> or the space bar to jump i don't i don't need any more practice i'm instantly i instantly know how to jump i don't have to think about it the only thing i need to do to teach my health self how to jump in a game like that is just press the button and see what happens yeah. because once i've confirmed that space bar is jump i'm set i can jump got that mm -hmm. same thing with like sh running left and right how does that work um so you, i think you don't even as a designer you're going to be using those conventions um but when you're introducing the things that are maybe more novel you are going to need to stretch that period a little bit more um for players if it's not something that they're used to doing yeah um yeah 
<clears throat> whether they're new players or new to the genre or it's something that you're deliberately putting in there with a twist. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of playtests about- of games where it has a different way of doing something and it makes a lot of sense. And the, the designer gets really frustrated when people don't pick up on it because it's not that complicated. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, I didn't expect to have to do a bunch of tutorialization because it's really not that complicated. And I think that's, this is the dimension that that hits on is like, mm-hmm. is it, it's not that people don't get it. It's not that people don't even consciously understand it. It's that mm-hmm. like, they just are resistant to, to adapting to it. Um, right. yeah. w- without that little extra runway that you're describing. Yeah. Well, and I think that for, for players, um, players want, they, you want to get to the point of unconscious competence because you want to just be in the gameplay reacting to what's happening yes. yeah. and like solving the thing or being focused on the, the next thing that you need to do. Um, and so when there's something that, when the game gets in the way of that, um, that in a, in a way that isn't fun, or like it introduces something new, but then requires you to use it in a, in a way that like you aren't ready for because you haven't reached that unconscious competence level. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be frustrating, I think, for the player too. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you get around that? Think about it, play test it. Yeah. Steven, all this has fighting games written all over it. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop thinking about fighting games. <laughs> Because like, yeah, the the total thing you're describing, I, and I think a lot with a lot of fighting games, it's gotten a lot better over the years with a lot of earlier fighting games. Like they didn't have a good, there are a lot of things that were not intuitive because fighting games were new, novel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so like it, it, it was difficult for people to pick up on those kinds of things and understand like all of those kinds of things. But as you play fighting games and as you like, a- like really any fighting games, you start getting, you start getting a better understanding of what it is you are supposed to be doing in a fighting game and mm-hmm. it becomes more intuitive as you play them even if you don't necessarily understand the game like i will oftentimes if i'm playing a new fighting game like i don't play a lot of anime fighters but whenever i play an anime fighter what i will do is that because they're they're very complicated that's why i don't play them <laughs> <laughs> and these are fighting games fighting games are already complicated um when I, when I do one of those things is I will find a couple of moves that like make sense to me and I can understand what they do and what, what the purpose of these moves are. And I will use those moves a bunch and then maybe try to experiment with other moves as I, um, you know, fight more people or, you know, or I'm playing the game more. Um, because, um, then I'll, I'll, I'll be like a decent level of competence. Um, and because like I'll, I'll know how I can use these moves to my advantage. And then, like, as I'm playing the game, I can start learning about more things and my moveset will expand. And then I'll be able to eventually get to the point where if I want to do a thing, I know what move I need to do to do that thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I won't have to think about it. It's mm-hmm. very, it's very, it's, it's exactly what you're describing, Ellen. Um, yeah. It's the same kind of thing. Um, yeah. A lot of the mechanical action becomes intuitive and you can focus more on the strategic parts of, you know, whatever it is you do in fighting games. Yeah. <laughs> fight, fight. It's mostly fight. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Good things. Yes. Um, one one to co- to come like completely 180 degree different example. Yeah. Um, puzzle games do this too. Like the one that uh, the one that really came to mind was The Witness. Oh sure. Um, where you, it slowly is training you to intuitively look for like just lines in the environment along different planes that you're not used. Yeah. To. Intuitively, when you start the game, you're not looking for those connections on those different axes. Yeah. Um, and then over time with practice in the game, then your your intuition learns 
that there are different ways of connecting things that don't line up, <laughs> line up with <laughs> how things work in the real world, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it takes, it, I mean, it takes practice in the game to get to that point because coming into the game, you have a lifetime of intuition built up around how things connect on different axes and planes out here in yeah. real life. Yeah. Um, given, you know, namely that they don't. Um, so I think that's a cool example of like playing counter to intuition that people are coming in with. Um, and then using that as that experience of like retraining your intuition to operate differently within that game space. Yeah. Oh, Me wow. Too. This is, I, I love this because this just, it's just like, it's like learning a language. You're just like learning how to communicate. Mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. in a, in a new way and i think that that's so cool because that's like that's what i love about video games yeah um, yeah that's good that's good stuff yeah without a single to like without a single word mm -hmm. you know he doesn't have to be click here click there yeah it's just doing like one little one little connection building the intuition of the player up a little bit at a time is that's the process of them learning how to play your game hey that's our show Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and on our programming in general. Go to nicegames.club slash feedback and tell us what you think. You can also get in touch with us directly on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and choosing a variable name. Or you can email us, contact at nicegames.club. You want to support the show? There are so many ways. You can give us a review in your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about your favorite episodes. You can join us on Discord by visiting nicegames.club slash Discord. And we are now on Patreon. As a patron of the show, you'll enjoy bonus content, extra jokes, and more, including something we're about to record today that maybe you can just take a peek at if you join us at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Yeah, and then before you know it, you're speaking French. You didn't even realize it. That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. S'il vous plaît. <laughs> Omelet du fromage. That's all I know. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> I feel like we hit a really good end point to this topic, maybe a couple of lines ago. <laughs> Probably. This definitely seems like the post-roll funnies. Yeah, suddenly you're speaking French. I love it. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.